Welcome to the Roots of the Spirit podcast. I'm your host, Spirit Taufik. I'm a social justice passionista and daughter of the civil rights movement. This podcast is my commitment to serve as an intergenerational bridge and galvanize change by having honest conversations about identity, the social construct of race, racism, and social justice. Welcome to Roots of the Spirit. Welcome to the Roots of the Spirit podcast. Thank you so much for showing up for supporting me. If you're new to the podcast, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you've been in the Roots of the Spirit community for some time and you're a loyal listener, I appreciate you so very much. It means the entire world to me. So thank you, thank you, thank you. If you are new to the Roots of the Spirit community, Roots of the Spirit is an organization created to uproot racism through storytelling, education, and the arts. You can head over to my website and check out the work that I do at www.rootsofthespirit.com. I also have a Facebook page and Roots of the Spirit Facebook community where members of the community exchange ideas, articles, resources to help further the conversation about racial justice, injustice, racism, and how we can be more effective agents of change in those respective areas. I'm also on Instagram, but honestly, I'm way more active on Facebook and that's where the community lives as well. This morning, I went on a beautiful walk with my husband to the park and I'm always inspired being out in nature. So the spirit moved me on my walk and I sent out a Facebook message saying, please send me ideas if anyone is interested in having me cover specific topic areas for this episode. So I got some great feedback. But before I get started with that, just to give you an update on what I've been up to, the month of October was insane in a good way. It was amazing, but it was so much work. But I feel so fulfilled and I've had such an enriching experience working with young people and adults alike on a variety of different initiatives. And I'll just give you a snapshot because I'm actually in a course. It's like a business course called Made to Do This. And it's all about like pursuing your passion career. And as you may or may not know, I founded Roots of the Spirit as my passion career because I've had a long career with the federal government in the National Park Service and Smithsonian Institution, but I took a leap of faith in 2018 and left my federal job so I can pursue creating my own organization, Roots of the Spirit. So in this program, we are holding one another accountable for continuing to grow out our business. And so part of that is to show up, show up and be seen and let the world know about what we do because sometimes I just, I live in my head and I think, you know, oh, everybody knows what I do. Well, how would they? I do a terrible job at promoting the work that I do. So I'm trying to get better at that. And part of that is, you know, talking about the work that I do. So just to give you a snapshot of some of the things that I've been up to. So I'm working with an organization called Sojourn to the Past, which you may have heard about on the podcast before. During regular times, Sojourn to the Past is like an immersive educational experience for students to learn firsthand from veterans of the civil rights movement. They actually take buses into the South and visit significant historic sites, hollowed grounds, sacred sites that 
are related to the civil rights movement. For example, Edmund Pettus Bridge. Prior to Congressman John Lewis's passing, he was a very loyal speaker on the Sojourn to the Past trip, as well as many other veterans of the civil rights movement, including Elizabeth Eckford and Minnie Jean Brown Trickey, who are members of the Little Rock Nine. So it's like this a wonderful, enriching experience for students. So I'm working with Sojourn to the Past, and we are taking Sojourn Digital due to the nature of these times. So we recently rolled out a program at a high school in San Francisco. So my colleagues, Ken and Dana from Sojourn to the Past, we created a program talking about the historical aspects, but also the contemporary aspects of voter suppression. Very timely program, um, very interesting speaking to young people about their concerns about voter suppression and also as an adult, learning about the immense tactics to prevent people, primarily black and brown people, from fully participating in the democracy by making it very difficult and in some instances impossible to vote. I also rolled out an anti-racism workshop. I conducted a one hour workshop and I opened it up to the general public and I had a great response. It was a really great turnout and also I think that the workshop went really well and I really appreciate the feedback I got the reason why I did that is in the program that I'm in made to do this, like I said, we're trying to showcase the work that we do. So a one hour anti-racism workshop sounds like a joke, right? How can you even begin to discuss anti-racism in one hour? Well, really, you can only graze the surface and kind of paint a picture on what's to come. Even in such a short amount of time, we were able to delve into some really deep conversations. My colleague Ken and I also rolled out a program for a school in Palo Alto, California about Brown versus Board of Education. And we're doing a series with this particular school. Next up, we'll be talking about the Central High School desegregation crisis. And then after that, Ruby Bridges. So it's a really great program, like a three-pronged series. It really gives us a chance to get to know the students, to get to know what they're interested in, what they're curious and concerned about. So I really like that program as well. And just yesterday, wow, I had such an amazing experience. I led a workshop for a program within City College in New York City. It's called Beyond Identity, a gendered platform for scholar activists. So right up my alley. I just was in awe of the young people who are activists in so many different ways. And we discussed really difficult topics um, just in terms of our life experiences, our identity, and how that shapes and molds us and how we bring ourselves to this work and the challenges that we face as for them as young people who are trying to navigate these very treacherous waters. I really, 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 really loved that workshop. And, and it was a custom customized workshop because the director who is so amazingly awesome, Dr. Booker, gave me the flexibility to build something specifically for these scholar activists. So one other element of the work that I'm doing right now is over the past year, I've been doing a part-time consultancy with the Department of Records and Information Services, which is the Municipal Archives of New York City. I'm the project coordinator for Women's Activism NYC, which is created to celebrate the women's suffrage centennial, the 100th anniversary of some women gaining the right to vote in the United States. 
that has been a really wonderful project that I've been able to be a part of. In essence, we are building an archive, like a tapestry of beautiful stories honoring women, change makers, activists, but everyday women in our lives, like our mothers, our grandmothers, our sisters, our teachers, our coaches. And this archive will live in the municipal archives in perpetuity. So it's like literally having a chance to write women into history, women whose stories have been marginalized, women whose stories we will never know that are not featured in history books. We're literally having an opportunity to change the narrative. We actually have a story contest going on right now. So what I'll do is I'll put a link in the show notes because I highly encourage you and your students to take part in this contest because you can win prizes up to $500. So I'm going to put that in the show notes, spread the word. What an awesome opportunity. Our goal is to reach 20,000 stories by the end of the year. So we need your help. Just think about all of the amazing, courageous women in your life and head over to womensactivism.nyc where you can enter her story, super intuitive website, It's very easy breezy. Um, It's a beautiful way to honor a woman in your life. So that's another project that I've been working on and that will go through December. One other adventure that I'm on right now is having become an outdoor Afro leader for New York City. Outdoor Afro is one of the nation's leading cutting edge networks that celebrates and inspires black connections and leadership in nature. And I was so over the moon to get selected to become a leader. There are 90 leaders across 30 states around the country. And one day I was scrolling Facebook world maybe a year ago and I saw an opportunity to apply to be a leader and I have always admired Outdoor Afro. I've been following Outdoor Afro for many many years. Um, was introduced to the organization through my career with the National Park Service. Always have been a big fan and so when I saw the chance to apply to be a leader I was like Wow, that would be amazing. So I applied and I was selected. So in April, we had this amazing leadership orientation. It was supposed to be in person. Unfortunately, we had to take it virtual, but built such a beautiful community nonetheless. And so I'm such a proud outdoor Afro leader in New York. And a couple weeks ago, I led my second in-person event. I led a healing walk at the New York Botanical Garden. It was so wonderful just to be in nature with beautiful black people and experience the healing nature of plants and the forest that they have there. It's just, it was so serene. It was just a perfect day. If you're not familiar with Outdoor Afro, now you are. It's outdoorafro.com. Such a beautiful community. So I just wanted to let you know about that as well we have a facebook if you're in new york join us it's outdoor afro nyc and check out the website because there might be a network near you across the united states and on another really exciting tip the smithsonian national museum of american history in washington dc recently opened an exhibition called girlhood it's complicated to commemorate the anniversary of women's suffrage by exploring the concept of girlhood in the united states and how girls changed history in politics, education, work, health, and fashion. 
and the one and only Minnie Jean Brown Tricky's high school graduation dress, the original in which we donated a couple years ago to the Smithsonian, is on display in this exhibition as well as her expulsion notice and a few other objects that she donated to the collection. Oh my goodness, this is the coolest exhibition ever. So it's going to stay at the Smithsonian for a couple years and then it's going to become a traveling exhibition. I just love the way it's so empowering, especially for girls and young women. It's a beautiful exhibition. So check it out at americanhistory.si.edu backslash girlhood. I'll put that in the show notes, so don't worry about having to remember that. So yeah, that's what I've been up to. Yeah, October has been serious, yo. Um, but it's been fun. So I'm, I'm just happy that, you know, the conversation around racism is on the forefront and a lot of good people are trying to do work to dismantle it. And then there are a lot of people who are putting challenges and roadblocks in place to prevent the good work that we want to do to try to break down and uproot racism and create a more just society. So before I get into all of that, just know I mentioned a variety of different organizations that I'm involved with. Anything that I say on my podcast is not speaking from the vantage point of those organizations. It's speaking from my voice, Spirit Tafik, as an individual, not representing any organization except Roots of the Spirit. So I just want to put that disclaimer out there. I'm involved in the community on various levels, but this is my voice, my opinions solely, okay? Just get it out of the way because it's about to go down. Well, it's not about to go down. I'm just about to voice my opinions. As I mentioned earlier, I put out a call for ideas for this podcast episode. So I want to be able to touch on those. And the first one is from my awesome friend, Tarona, who said, with the recent executive order on diversity training, can you talk about the effect it's having on contractors and institutions moving forward? To give you context, Trump issued an executive order on September 22nd, 2020, Executive Order on Combating Race and Sex Stereotyping. I don't want to bore you by reading it all, but some of it you just have to be aware. Of course, you can look it up on your own, but the executive order opens up with common language in an executive order and then goes on to talk about Gettysburg and Selma to Montgomery and Dr. Martin Luther King how he dreamt that his children would one day not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, and then says, thanks to the courage and sacrifice of our forebearers, America has made significant progress toward realization of our national creed, particularly in the 57 years since Dr. King shared his dream with the country. I have to read this. Like I literally, you have to know what it says. Okay. So, and then the executive order says today, however, many people are pushing a different vision of America that is grounded in hierarchies based on collective social and political identities rather than in the inherent and equal dignity of every person as an individual. This ideology is rooted in the false belief that America is an irredeemably racist and sexist country, that some people, simply on account of their race or sex, are oppressors, and that racial and sexual identities are more important than our common status as human beings and Americans. This destructive ideology is grounded in misrepresentations of our country's history and its role in the world. 
Although presented as new and revolutionary, they resurrect the discredited notions of the 19th century's apologists for slavery who, like President Lincoln's rival Stephen A. Douglas, maintained that our government was made on the white basis by white men for the benefit of white men. Our founding documents rejected these racialized views of America, which were soundly defeated on the blood-stained battlefields of the Civil War, yet they are now being repackaged and sold as cutting-edge insights. They are designed to divide us and to prevent us from uniting as one people in pursuit of one common destiny for our great country. Unfortunately, this malign ideology is now migrating from the fringes of American society and threatens to infect core institutions of our country. Instructors and materials teaching that men and members of certain races, as well as our most vulnerable institutions are inherently sexist and racist are appearing in workplace diversity trainings across the country, even in components of the federal government and among federal contractors. For example, the Department of the Treasury recently held a seminar that promoted arguments that quote, virtually all white people, <laughs> regardless of how woke they are, contribute to racism, unquote, and that instructed small group leaders to encourage employees to avoid narratives that Americans should be more colorblind or let people's skills and personalities be what differentiates them. I, I, can't, I can't get through this without laughing. It's so sad. It's so sad. It's so sad. Then he goes into examples from different federal agencies on what they did wrong, talking about white privilege is practically banned, using the word anti-racism, racism, discussing critical race theory when it gets down to it this executive order then i think probably goes to the opm which is the office of personnel management opm then probably devises like distills it and creates their own policies and then federal agencies have to further distill it and make it applicable to their respective agency or workplace so the question is about how do i feel you know i lost two clients two federal clients that i had booked anti-racism workshops with they were really really excited about doing anti-racism work being honest about the past i think that it is to be so commended for the leaders of these agencies to step up and want to face the truth so that we can go through the difficult parts to get to a greater outcome, which is to create change in our organizations. I mean, Trump is such a fear-inducing, divisive sower of hate. And this, to me, is just another, yet another example of the way in which he is continuing to throw wrenches in any type of progress that we're trying to make, any type of anything that has to do with justice. So that's those are my basic thoughts, but I feel that it's really unfortunate for leaders and managers who have to deal with this disturbing, disgusting, discriminatory executive order. Because what about, think about it like this. So a lot of federal sites actually were created, have enabling legislation drafted by Congress to say this place was built because a historic event took place that has to do with everything I just mentioned. For example, like think about Selma to Montgomery National Historic Trail. What are they gonna talk about if they can't talk about racism? Central High School National Historic Site, I used to work there. 
So if you look at the enabling legislation and you look at the goals and objectives of the historic site, and then you get an executive order like this, how are you supposed to carry out your mission? And I know this has long reaching effects to contractors who work in universities, you know, anywhere that there's federal funding, this is going to impact. I mean, I am hoping, I am hopeful. I voted early. I actually went to the polls. Thank goodness there was no line prior to the day that I went. There was literally a four block line to my polling location. But the day that I went, it was dreary, it was raining, there was no line. But anyway, so I voted early. After I voted, when I was walking home, I was so emotional because I was just thinking to myself, I, four years, I can't, I cannot take it. I don't think I'll be able to last through that. Um, so I'm hoping with all of my might that Biden and Harris win and they get right to work on trying to undo some of this deep, deep, deep injustice that has been done over the last four years. So yeah, personally, it has definitely impacted my organization, but I know I'm not the only one and I'm just hopeful that things will change, hopefully starting next week, because I cannot see, I just can't imagine any other president buying into this. It's just ridiculous. This country has been built on lies, myths, and dishonesty. And so really what people like me and people are doing this quote diversity and inclusion work or anti-racism work, we're trying to revisit the buried truth. We're trying to bring to light the real history, the real stories, the true narrative of this nation so that we can grapple with the difficulties and the impact that it's had on all of our life experiences that brings us to this moment and try to help move through that. But I'm not deterred. I'm still going to be doing my anti-racism work with organizations that are committed to doing it. Now I know federal agencies are have their hands tied at the moment, but I don't think it will last forever. So I feel hope in that regard. I also got a question from one of my super loyalists, Chuck who I have to give a shout out to. He is so awesome. He always sends me the best articles and most unique stories that relate to race and racism and social justice. So super, super shout out, Chuck. His question is, how do you keep your sanity and focus with so much going on in our world right now? Truth of the matter is, it fluctuates like nobody's business. So one day I can wake up and just listen to the radio or open my phone and see just yet another devastating news story about an injustice that took place. And I become enraged. And I have this like burning feeling in my chest and I probably stomp around the house and just have like a really irritated attitude. And, you know, my husband is so grounded. He, I mean, not to say that he doesn't get upset and angry either, but he just has a, a really solid way of dealing with it. He's just much more grounded than I am in that way. And I'm working on myself, but I do get angry a lot. And I do have a lot of rage over the past 10 years, I guess you can say, I have been proactively trying to figure out ways to become more grounded, to become more rooted, in essence, become the true meaning of roots of the spirit so that when this world is tossing and turning, that I am not, that I am able to sit still, that I am able to maintain my sanity. But it's just, honestly, it's just too much right now. Like this is just too much. And I know that it's taking a toll on everyone's mental health. 
But for me, I have adopted a few practices. I, as I mentioned earlier, am a lover of nature. I grew up on a farm. That's my place of solace, peace. That's where I gain rejuvenation. That's where I feel the most myself is in nature. That's one of my recommendations is to spend time with nature. Because in addition to the fact that I, that's just where I thrive in nature, it also gives us such a great perspective on life. When you think about when you're among trees that have been there for 400 years and weathered so many different types of storms and the threat of humans chopping them down or just, just being there and being firm and being rooted and having been through so much. I just think about that as incredibly inspirational. And just seeing the cycle of things too. Being in the fall right now and looking at the foliage and seeing that, you know, these beautiful green trees, the leaves now died, they're on the ground and then the cycle continues. I think it just gives me greater perspective. I'll never forget. When I was 24 years old, my job with the National Park Service sent me to the Grand Canyon for training. I was at a really strange place in my life at that moment. At that time, it was like growing pains. I didn't have the self-love that I wish I had and, you know, trying to nurture over the years. So, you know, I was just a little self-destructive at the moment. And I went to the Grand Canyon and everything changed. I just marveled at being able to, with the naked eye, see millions of years represented in the stratification of the rocks. Hey, I paid attention in geology in high school. Actually really love geology. But being there, looking at the layers of the rocks, seeing just the vastness of the Grand Canyon, it just, it just infused something in me that I've carried with me ever since. And I remember walking along the Grand Canyon. It was a cold winter night. And so it's like literally you're looking out into the canyon and then the stars were just blanketing the whole entire sky. It was extraordinary. But that's another example. Obviously we can't access the Grand Canyon at the moment, but to the best of our ability, like get outdoors, be in nature, sit still, sit next to a tree, sit next to a pond. Just quiet your mind and listen to the beautiful sounds that nature has to offer. So that's my recommendation, is nature. There's nothing like it. And I just love this quote by Lao Tzu. Nature does not hurry, yet everything is accomplished. I also think of that in relation to this moment that we're in, how difficult it is. The pandemic, racial injustice, the election, which has an impact on what I just mentioned, racial injustice, the pandemic. And unfortunately, you know, minus the pandemic, I think about my mother's generation and what they had to endure and how unfortunately there have been worse times in this country within the last 75 years. Sometimes I have to put it in perspective. I mean, not to take away from what's going on in the present and not to take away from the severity of it, but really eye-opening to think I don't you know I literally called my mother the other day I'm like I honestly don't know how you've endured how in the world did you endure like Dr. Martin Luther King getting shot and JFK and Bobby Kennedy 
and Malcolm X and members of the Black Panther Party and the list goes on like back to back to back to back to back like I don't even know and among the many other atrocities that were happening locally and abroad like that's just so much I can't imagine so yeah I think about the context and then I love podcasts I listen to so many different podcasts and when I feel like I need to bring it down, like to calm myself down. I listen to a podcast like Super Soul Sunday or something, maybe Eckhart Tolle or Deepak Chopra, something that's going to give me like a grander perspective on what's going on or read. I remember last summer I was going through a challenge and even though it's been on my bookshelf for years, I think it was my mother's book. And even though I've read it in the past, I picked it up again, A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle, Awakening to Your Life's Purpose. And it just washed over me in a completely different way. That's a really good book to dive into, just kind of take your mind out of the chaos. One thing that stands out in the book is kind of the philosophy around this too shall pass and not just looking at it from negative. It's like whatever it is that's happening in the present moment, this too shall pass this negative experience we're going through, this too shall pass. Even if it's a positive experience, this too shall pass. And so it just gives you such perspective to think about, you know, this too shall pass. You know, when you're in the thick of something and then you get out of it, it's hard to even remember how incredibly difficult it was. But yeah, I have faith that one day we'll be able to look back And just with a solid knowing that this too shall pass, I think gives me a lot of hope. I'm hoping that that is somewhat helpful to gain some perspective. My friend Carrie, who is also a super duper Roots of the Spirit loyalist said, how are black kids doing at school since they are so woke now, any real change? So I'm assuming the they being so woke, you're referring to schools. Interestingly enough, as I mentioned earlier, I've been doing workshops in schools for years, in particular in New York City, actually, you know, around the country. But if I'm to say, you know, I've done quite a few Zoom engagements with students and I haven't noticed a difference in the conversation. Of course, young people express great concern for what's going on and they're keenly aware of the injustices that are taking place. I did a workshop immediately after the murder of George Floyd and the students of course had many questions and were really concerned about the injustice the sickness of racism and I haven't seen a change in what young people are concerned about however I mean always giving the caveat or the disclaimer that I'm not in the schools 24 7 365 I know that there are educators like yourself and so many others who do amazing work and have been doing this work all along, not just because of the recent you know, reckoning with racial injustice, but this is your passion, this is your heart, this is your reality. But in some instances, as much has changed, much has stayed the same. I personally have not noticed a difference in what the students are inquiring about, in the nature of the conversation. I have students come forth and discuss how they are bullied in their schools, in 2020, how they feel isolated, how they hear the N-word at their school, and other derogatory words related to different groups. 
homophobic comments and discrimination. So unfortunately, I don't really see a difference. I think that I think it's on a higher level when I think about some of the change that needs to take place. I think it's on a much higher level than, you know, putting the responsibility and the onus on teachers. I think that these changes, like real change, is going to have to be from a more systemic standpoint. You know, the conversation around counselors in schools, not police, like that's an example of a systemic problem where police officers are stationed in the schools. Kids have to go through metal detectors to get to, to even enter their school. Distribution of funding, the whole breaking up of districts and everything and the codification of neighborhood schools, knowing that neighborhood schools means in many instances segregated schools because the neighborhoods are segregated. Also textbooks, who's writing the textbooks, from whose vantage point, whose voices are being heard, whose narrative, what narrative is being told. So I see a lot of change that needs to happen on a very large systemic level. And I just feel like it's very unfortunate that many times it's great teachers who make it their business to involve their students in conversations around race and racism and social justice when I think the responsibility should come from a much higher level. But that's going to depend on the leadership of our country. That's how systemic I'm looking at it. But as long as we have leadership in the White House that is saying like these conversations are off limits, it makes it very difficult for the awesome teacher in the classroom who's trying to expose their students to the truth. So yeah, that's my stream of consciousness way of responding to that question. Thank you so much, Carrie. You're just so awesome and I really appreciate you for your support always. My friend Kareth asks, how to address politics in the classroom, how to address this election depending on the results. My opinion, again, disclaimer, I am not a classroom teacher, so I know that there are deep challenges to these type of issues, but in my experience, I think young people want the truth. Young people want a space to be able to express themselves and the impact that the outcome of this election will have on their lives. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, and I spoke to some young people the other day about this, some university students, a young woman expressed that she was receiving a lot of hatred packaged as, well, this is just who I'm voting for. This is just my opinion. It's just about politics. It's not, it's not anything personal. And I first thought of James Baldwin's quote, we can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and denial of my humanity and right to exist. And that's how I look at it. There are real live consequences to Trump's administration. People's families have been ripped apart. People's parents have been deported. Anti-racism work has been outlawed. He set in motion a Muslim ban. He uses very divisive racist language. He has said that white supremacists are good folks. He has incited violence with the words that he uses very strategically in the language that he uses to make sure that he's dog whistling to people who hold very racist beliefs. 
He's a very dangerous human being, and he has set forth very dangerous and violent policies that impact people's lives. And so under normal circumstances, I think it's fair to say that, yes, we can disagree on the candidate and this and that, but this is a different type of candidate. This is a very violent, vile candidate. This person has inflicted pain and suffering. So for me personally, it's very difficult for me to see the argument of, you know, oh, well, you know, it's just a fair election because it might not be a fair election. Trump has said that he's going to make it very difficult for this to be a fair election. So I think that those type of issues are what need to be discussed. I think that young people are scared. Young people are concerned. They are interested in finding out what it is they can do to become involved because it's impacting their lives. And the ripple effect is so far reaching. So if nothing else, it's holding safe space for them to discuss how they feel, how this is impacting them in real ways, in real time. And I think one of the important elements of the conversation should be like, let's root this in fact. Let's root this in an informed historical perspective because we can sit here and argue all day, but if we're not dealing with facts, then it's 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 not valid. So for example, Trump attacked the 1619 project because it's based in truth, because it's not the narrative that he wants to hear. He doesn't want the truth unburied. To, to have a narrative that centers black people in this country, he definitely doesn't want that. I mean, there are facts that can, that can be presented. There are facts. There are facts that the, the president has used very vulgar language against women. There are facts on the, some of the policies that he has rolled out to discriminate against different groups. Like these are facts. This is not, oh, well, you know, that's my opinion and it's my right to this candidate. That's fantastic. You can vote for and like whoever you want, but let's lay out the facts. Well, let's just say I don't envy that position. I know it's got to be extremely difficult, but I think ultimately it's about providing a safe space for those conversations to happen. Maybe even talk about the democracy and what that's supposed to look like, what the process is supposed to be. You know, there's just so much voter suppression and different barriers to participating in a democracy. And maybe that's something that can be discussed those are my thoughts. But really, in my experience, young people want to be heard. I know that many schools don't have the capacity for this, but I think that counseling and counselors and having a support system is really important right now. I spoke to a group yesterday, university students, and they're actually holding a post-election convening because regardless of how things turn out they said they need each other they need each other in this moment they need to be able to express themselves express their fears express whatever it is they need to get out they just need that space so the fact that the young people kind of were part of initiating that i think that they probably represent many young people who are very concerned right now so it's about that space 
Well, this episode was dedicated to the Roots of the Spirit listeners. I just wanted to honor you by answering any questions that you have on the podcast and saying, I see you, I hear you, I am not an expert, I am merely striving to do my part to uproot racism in this world that we live in. So I appreciate you for bringing these questions to me, for being so loyal, for being a part of the change. As an anti-racism educator, I would love to work with you to roll out a training in your school, in your organization, in your corporation. So please let me know if you're interested or if you just like to test it out. I can roll out a one hour workshop to just kind of give you a taste of what it would be like and then we can take it from there. But thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful day and I am crossing my fingers and my toes and we need a change. We need a change. I cannot do this another four years. So this needs to change. This needs to change on Tuesday. And I know it's not going to change on Tuesday because there's so much going on with when the actual results will be in. So not quite sure when we'll have an answer, but I'm really hoping that we move in the direction of positive, proactive change. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for listening.